Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Drew Gilpin Faust at World Economic Forum 2015, a very telling quote about our topic today. And she said, quote, I'm not the woman president of Harvard. I'm the president of Harvard. Okay, I want you to all think about what I just said, quoting Drew Gilpin Faust. So the World Economic Forum has been studying the globe's readiness for parity among the genders for years. That's right. I said the globe's readiness, not just the U.S. World Economic Forum, think world, globe. Yes, it is a problem. In what way? It's a problem economically, and it's a problem in terms of pooling and polling and attracting, keeping, retaining, and growing global talent. Yes, there are some talent shortages, skilled talent around the world. But political and business leaders talk about it. They have programs. They do research. They make commitments. Guess what? The needle hasn't budged at all or very little. And in some cases, sad to say, it has even slid backwards, meaning not even a chance of progress. So we're going to be talking about this today. And our topic is beyond the rhetoric, diversity and inclusion reality check. 217 years to gender equality at work? Let's hope not. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. And we have a packed panel today of three experts who are going to talk to us about this and help us learn how, what the issues are, what the challenges are, and how they can be sped up to achieving this parity, this equality. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Desi Kimmons. She's a senior partner and EMEA head of leadership development at Corn Ferry. We'll find out about her opening quote and who she is. Joining her on the panel, another newcomer, Nancy Joyce, the head of Global Inclusion Solutions in the U.S. for PDT Global. I got those letters right, Nancy. And rounding out the panel, of course, is Dr. Patty Fletcher, who is the sponsor of this series. She is known as a leadership futurist at SAP Success Factors. She's also the author of the very best-selling recently released book called Disruptors, success strategies from women who break the mold. So welcome to our three esteemed panelists. And let's go around the table to Desi Kimmons. And Desi has sent us a quote that we think is from Viktor Frankl. We're not entirely sure, but that's the best attribution. Viktor Frankl, 1905 to 1997. He was an Austrian neurologist and a psychiatrist, as well as a Holocaust survivor. And he was the founder of Logotherapy. And his best-selling book was titled Man's Search for Meaning. Aha. Here's the quote Desi has selected from Viktor Frankl. Quote, between stimulus and response, there is space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Desi Kimmons, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted. I love the quote. You and I searched a little bit for the attribution of that, and we came up with the best guest, Victor Frankl, and it sounds like he could have said it. So tell me, Desi, how you picked the quote and how it relates to our topic today in search of going beyond the rhetoric on D&I diversity and inclusion. Go ahead. Thanks so much. Well, I mean, it definitely was uh, Victor Frankl. And for those of you who ever get the opportunity to read his his book and search for meaning, it is incredibly inspiring because this is about an individual who has been faced with extreme adversity during the Holocaust. And he was able to, through the way that he saw the world around him, was able to change his attitude to it. And I think that um, relating it to to, to our business and to the world in which we operate, um, we are so busy and so reactive. And my mantra is now to be intentional about what I do. And if you think about it, it's not that much the stimulus that defines who you are and what you do, but it's your reaction that you need to take that space to be able to react and then to be intentional about what you do. So that's my inspiration, and I try now to live it every day. 
I appreciate that. And, and Desi, the intention, that word you use, interestingly enough, that came up recently in one of my dance lessons. I am taking what I call high-end technique ballroom dancing. I've been dancing since I was 10, but I'm, I'm studying weekly with an instructor just to, to uh, shall we say, refine my style and my movements. And he introduced me to a term recently about dancing with forward intention. Don't lean back. Yeah. Don't have your weight backwards, right? Forward intention, and I think that's what I'm getting out of this quote, is your forward intention of how do you choose your response as you enter that space that Viktor Frankl talks about between the stimulus and the response. Where do you want to go? What do you choose? Am I on target with that? What do you think? You you absolutely are, and linking it to the topic of, of today's show, it's, if, if you're a woman in a male-dominated environment in, in, in business, you get so many, you get stimulated by so many, uh, in so many areas, and it's very easy to go into reactive mode the whole time and even get defensive or not be effective in your response. So choosing that time and taking it to be intentional makes an enormous difference, not only in your own career, but also in being a role model. Very well put, and I'm not going to give names, but we recently saw that conundrum, that challenge in women's tennis a couple of days ago in terms of reacting in the space and not having the desired outcome. Well, we don't talk about that, but you all know what I'm talking about. Thank you, Desi. Wonderful way to start the show. I really appreciate your quote. Now, now let me move a little bit around the table to Nancy Joyce at PDT Global. And Nancy has sent us also a beautiful quote from Edith Wharton, Edith Wharton, 1862 to 1937. She was an American novelist, short story writer, and designer. She combined an insider's view of American aristocracy with a powerful prose style. She even won the Pulitzer Prize for Literature in 1921. She was the first woman to receive that honor. And she hobnobbed with all kinds of people and presidents, including Teddy Roosevelt. So there. And here is the quote. It's a long one, so listen up. Make one's center inside of oneself, not selfishly or excludingly, but with a kind of unassailable serenity to decorate one's inner house so richly that one is content there, glad to welcome anyone who wants to come and stay, but happy all the time when one is inevitably alone. Nancy, Joyce, what a beautiful quote. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Uh, well, thank you for asking. I'm fine, doing well, hoping the hurricane misses Durham, North Carolina, but we never know. The weather forecasts are 50-50 going either way right now, but I'm fine so far. It's a beautiful, sunny day, and I'm glad to be talking to you. There is so much in this quote you sent us, Nancy. There's so much about this serenity, about the inner house, content to be there, glad to welcome people, but you are inevitably in there on your own. So tell me, how does this quote, what does it mean to you in terms of our topic about seeking gender equality, especially in the workplace. Nancy? So I learned you know, early on that in my professional career that if I was going to really be true to myself, uh, that I was going to start to make people uncomfortable. And uh, women in today's workplace, hmm. whether they're asking for a raise or they're expressing their opinion or they're interrupting someone in a meeting, can easily make people feel uncomfortable. Uh, and um, in order to be comfortable doing that, you really have to be comfortable inside of yourself even people that you respect and admire tremendously, you might turn them off sometimes, and you need to be okay with that and comfortable. Talking to Nancy Joyce at PDT Global about her wonderful quote from Edith Wharton. Nancy, we're talking about sometimes women in communicating in the workplace have something to say that doesn't exactly sit well or comfortably or easily with other people. So is this a dilemma you think we're always going to have? Do you think it'll ever get easier? I think it will get easier, but I do think it's going to take a long time, and I do think that we need to be willing to be brave, and we need allies in the process, and we need our uh, managers, our leaders, in order to understand the conundrum we face and give us the space to push when we need to and, and give us air cover. Thank you very much. Very well put. I know we've talked about uh, peer groups, and uh, I know Dr. Patty Fletcher is coming on in a minute, talked about, about groups that work to lend support and to be there for people. Um, what, we, what I say, uh, I interviewed recently for my TV show some improv, competitive improv performers, and I said, what do you say before you go on stage live to do competitive improv in front of an audience in a club? And they told me in the green room, they look at each other, they join hands, and they look at each other and say, 
I've got your back. Ah, wouldn't that be wonderful at work if we said that to people? So I, I think that's the that's the method we're looking for. Thank you. And, and my point about peer groups is that we often say they shouldn't be just women. They should include men because men are part of this challenge of supporting women. And that's a, probably a very good way for me to introduce Patty Fletcher waiting patiently in the wings. Patty at Success Factors and our new best-selling author. And Patty has found a wonderful quote from of Patty. This is the first time we've ever had a quote from Snoop Dogg on Game Changers Radio, so I commend you for that. But, Patty, I'm probably going to shock you. I don't know if you know his real name. It's Calvin Cortazar Broadus Jr. Did you know that, Patty? Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I'm a little too obsessed with Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are. Well, anybody who's around the world who has re- seriously been hiding under a non-digital rock, he's an American rapper, a singer, a songwriter, a record producer, a TV personality, an actor, and he started his career back in 92 when he was discovered by, of all people, Dr. Dre, and featured on Dre's solo debut, Deep Cover, and then on the debut album, The Chronic. Snoop Dogg has sold over 23 million albums in the U.S. and 35 million worldwide, and his debut album is called Doggy Style. We're just going to stop there. Here's the quote Patty has selected, and I have no idea how you found this, Patty, but I'm clapping for you. She says she selected this one. Women are in a position now to voice their opinion. Women are getting empowered. That's the short version. Patty, welcome. How have you been? I've been great, thank you. A bit better than you are from a weather perspective. Yeah, I think so. So you, you're doing the book tour. You've been doing it for about six months now. Just before we get to the quote, how's that going for you, Patty? It's going fantastic. Actually, the timing of the book couldn't have been better. It came out in mid-January and um, already exceeded 900% of its life um, sales by the end of that first week. Um, it's had multiple printings. Wow. It's been picked up for an audio book. Yeah, I auditioned. I'm going to read my own book, um, which is exciting. <gasps> um, so, yeah, it's going really, Very. really well, really well. And I will tell you, Bonnie, to your uh, point, which is such an important one, which is this is not a women's only topic. This is a human topic, mm-hmm. and therefore we need all humans involved. It is fascinating to see how many men are buying this book, how many men are reaching out to me, how the conversation has changed. So 217 years, I, I do believe that number, but I, I think that there we are at a tipping point, and it's, it's very exciting. Very interesting. Patty, let me pull the quote apart. You know I like to do that. Women are in a position now to voice their opinion. I'm going to venture to say, and we'll get your reaction and then from Desi and Nancy as well, that women who are bold and somebody used the word brave and outspoken and committed to what they believe in or what they know or what they believe should happen somewhere business or or in everyday personal life they've always believed we've always believed we're in a position to voice our opinion and he says women are getting empowered so what has changed that Snoop Dogg can say women are getting empowered as though that's breaking news patty is that accurate <laughs> That's part of the reason why I chose the quote. Thank you for saying that. The first reason was because I wanted yeah. the Snoop Dogg quote. Um, so I, I feel really validated. <laughs> um, but the rest of that quote, the rest of the quote, he, he talks about, you know, the more power women get, um, the more that their voice can shift, right? And at the end, it was, I didn't know this until I had a daughter. And that is probably one of the most frustrating things um, for me anyway on this topic. Research from Harvard, my own experience, and no doubt Desi and Nancy are, are both well aware of this. When getting men to the conversation, it truly used to be, well, I have a daughter and I want her to have the same opportunities as my son. And, you know, the rest of us have been sitting around going, yeah, but we've always been good. (laughs) We've always had a voice. And so he is late to the game because he just noticed he finally has a catalyst. And that's really what this kind of change requires. To be able to harness all the best and available talent, we first need a catalyst to say we're not harnessing all the best and available talent. That's number one. Number two, the other reason I chose this quote is because of millennials and Gen Zs. We have seen over the last year, year and a half, this generation show us how to do it, how to use social media, how to come together, how to change things. No, they haven't experienced the the 
the, the time in the workforce that those of us on the phone have where we've witnessed and, and been part of some things that maybe our voice does make people nervous. But we have so much to learn from these women who have, quite frankly, the blissful ignorance of not knowing is their power. So I, I really love how all this quotes bring it together. The final piece here is the word empowered, which I hate. Nobody's empowering me. I own my own power, right? All I need to be is enabled. And so what I like about this is that women are empowering themselves. So lots of stuff in this quote. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know, Patty, somebody who from, from the distant past in American history, aviation history, Amelia Earhart Two of my panelists on other Game Changers radio series in the past couple of weeks have quoted Amelia Earhart, and there's a famous line. She's the aviator who flew um, around the world and was lost, and she is still popular. She wrote books. She's still being quoted and still thought of as a pioneer and an outspoken woman, but she said something about uh, effort is part tenacity, and it's just meaning holding on and keeping on doing what you believe, what you feel is right, and I'm just amazed that even men are picking up on that Amelia Earhart quote, Patty, which is, I think that means they're understanding that we've been empowered for a long time. Forgive me for using the word you hate, but am I on target with that, Patty? Right on target. Yep, absolutely. And when you say empowered, and bringing it back to Serena, I know we won't go there, but she owned her own power. We've (laughs) always been empowered. The disbelief is that people believe that they can empower you. You can't empower somebody, right? Nobody owns your own power. And that's really a shift in thinking, not just on this topic, but from a leadership topic overall, that that has to change. And, And women have always known that about themselves. Yep. Thank you very much. Good reality checks there. Let's just go around the table on that word empowerment. I'd love to know what Desi Kimmins at Corn Ferry thinks, and then we'll go to Nancy Joyce at PDT Global. Desi, you agree with Patty about that we've always been empowered? What do you think? I absolutely do. Um, I, I love the quote, and I, and, and I love the way that Patty talked about it. I absolutely do believe it. What I do also think, however, that has really shifted uh, now is um, the fact that the landscape now is ripe for women to be more courageous in pushing the boundaries. So I think that women have always tried mm. to push boundaries, but at some point there's, there's always been a wall that you've been hitting up against. And at one point, you know, you just give up because you can't be bothered to put up for the fight anymore. And now through what's going on in the media, what's going on around the world, and because it's getting so much attention, there is that opportunity to push through. So, I, I completely agree. And I think that from, you know, the perspective that men are beginning to see it too, I mean, you know, everybody knows that diversity, having a more diverse workforce, I mean, it includes, you know, it, it improves your talent, your performance, your brand, your growth, innovation, all of those good things. Um, but linked to that is also the fact maybe they're just starting to realize it, but we're changing something which has grown across, you know, it's been evolution. So, behavioral change and you need to support people and enable, for example, men to be able to make that transition. It's not going to just light up overnight. Um, And I think that that applies to all forms of diversity. Women just happens to be the biggest homogeneous group that you can measure easily. Very interesting. Thank you. Nancy Joyce, love to get you to join this. What do you think about empowerment or do we own it? Are we given it? Are we waiting for permission? Who's brave? Who shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be anything. Go ahead, Nancy. Well, you know, I mean, women um, have been sidelined for generations, thousands of years. You can look back to Greek literature and see people silencing their mothers um, and getting them out of the public sphere. And in fact, public speaking back then was actually equal to, be, you know, being a man. And so a woman speaking up made her very, very manly. So, you know, I, I think that we have gradually over the decades and over the years uh, owned our power increasingly, and we're at a tipping point. And I think um, events like having a daughter uh, or have, being head of an organization and having a talent problem makes people realize that we need to be empowered to take to the next, the next level ourselves, but also, once again, we need to be a team effort. I get kind of frustrated, you know, the whole the quote that Patty mentioned about, about the daughter issue. You know, there's now a business case for inclusion and diversity that has been proven over and over again, and that business case mm-hmm. needs to be incorporated throughout organizations for their particular situation, whether that's going into new markets or whether that's getting new talent or whether that's releasing new products, 
the business case for diversity is there, and so it shouldn't necessarily take now having a daughter um, or just seeing the war for talent in order to get people on board. We should have people on board now because the business case is, is a reality. Very well put. We've talked about that. Yes, Patty has done many shows on, on the business value, the economic value of diversity for many reasons, and it goes beyond just the gender diversity. It's every, every kind of diversity and, and abledness. Uh, Patty, just to, to credit the full quote, I want to read it now, and then I'm going to circle back to Desi, and we're going to do the where are you and what do you love to drink and what your role is. So we'll do that next. But the full quote, and I'm remiss for not having read the whole thing, Patty, I apologize. Snoop Dogg, the rapper, said the following. Women are in a position now to voice their opinion. Women are getting empowered. The more power they get, the more voice they get to shift certain things around. Now I have a daughter, I understand. When I didn't have a daughter, I didn't understand. So just for the record, that's the full quote Patty picked. And thank you so much, Patty, for your patience with me. Now, Desi Kimmons, Corn Ferry, where are you today in the world? What is your favorite beverage that powers you to do what you love to do? And tell us just a little bit about what you do as the head of leadership development for Corn Ferry. Go ahead, Desi. Um, yeah, so I am sitting in Zurich at the moment, although I'm typically based in London. I had a couple of speaking engagements with clients uh, on the topic of, of leadership and of diversity and inclusion. So I am, I'm, in, I'm in Zurich. Um, my favorite drink, if I could choose, would be to live on espresso martinis. But uh, <laughs> on a daily basis, I down about a liter of spinach broccoli juice, um, which is, I guess, the, the healthier option, and that keeps me going. Um, in terms of wow. what I do, so for most people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with two young kids, I need a strong immune system. I um, So for Corn Ferry, most people know Corn Ferry for my executive search practice. Uh, truth be told is that uh, more than 50% of the business is actually advisory in leadership and talent. And I lead the leadership development business line for uh, EMEA. And leadership development goes all from, from customized leadership development, um, team performance, a lot of diversity and inclusion work. In EMEA, it's a really big topic. Um, and I'm based in London. Thank you very much. Nice to have you on. And now let's move around the table to Nancy Joyce at PDT Global. Nancy, where are you today? What do you love to drink? I don't know if we can top the two that Desi gave us, and she just kind of dropped them on the table and didn't wait for the response, and we all wanted to say, what? Seriously? That's interesting. You had two very unusual drinks there, Desi, I have to tell you. Nancy, no competition. We want to know what powers you, and what do you do at PDT Global? Nancy Joyce, it's all yours. So I am in Boston, Massachusetts at the moment, and I might say I'm not drinking it now, but my favorite drink is a Pins cup. Pins is a British liqueur, and I drink it with ginger mm-hmm. and slices of orange and cucumber. And uh, I love mm. it because it's delicious, but also because it reminds me of, uh, I worked abroad, you know, outside of the U.S. a lot in uh, Russia and um, Paris and all sorts of places, and it reminds me of my travels and also reminds me how, how similar we are. Um, across the globe and how we're all striving for, this, for the same things. At Very PDT, well put. I run and the U.S. Go ahead. Yep. Mm-hmm. At PDT, I run the U.S., and so uh, in that capacity, what I do is I help clients think through their diversity and inclusion strategies, in particular how they're going to apply measurement, uh, programming, training, and uh, some consulting to their program strategies. Thank you very much. Nice to get to know you. And Dr. Patty Fletcher, what have you been up to besides the book tour? Where are you today? Are you living out of a suitcase or are you someplace steady on the ground? And um, what's your favorite drink these days? You've certainly traveled a lot. And what are you doing at Success Factors? I am today talking to you from the Aria Hotel in Las Vegas, where there are two big HR conferences um, here this week, and I'm at both of them, Success Connect, which is SAP Success Factors, 
um, their big event. Mm-hmm. And Michael J. Fox will be speaking tomorrow. Very exciting. And then um, HR Ooh. Tech, which is happening just down the street. Yeah, so a lot of HR people and those of us on the phone and you, Bonnie, know, having been in this industry, that it's, you know, like old home day, right? We all kind of swim in the same pond, right, even if we're working in different places. So that's that's always fun. Um, and uh, my favorite drink has become the St. Germain cocktail, which I feel is my personal duty and mission in life to educate every bartender on what that is, because I do have to. And it's a third St. Germain, a third, mm-hmm, a third um, Prosecco, and then a third soda water. Some people put lemon and lime. I cannot take citrus, so I do not. It is Oh, it's over ice and with the straw, and I put cherries in it. It is delicious. Um, but I'm not drinking that now because I have about three different presentations today and prep for four more coming up over the, the next four days. Um, so right now I'm drinking boring old water. That's what I'm doing. We forgive you, but we love the drink you just <laughs> described. And I love the fact that you said you, your mission is to teach bartenders how to make it. That's an admirable mission, Dr. Fletcher. You just keep that up. Let's, let's see. You know, you, you almost need to start a blog for all the bartenders who learn how to make it from you all over the world and have them put their version of the recipe on your blog. Call it Dr. Patty's whatever. And uh, I think that idea. would be a lot of fun to see who who has who has learned their lesson well. And what have you been up to? At, at, you're at the two HR conferences. Anything new in, in your world uh, when you are on the ground at Success Factors? Anything happening? Um, well, we are, we are doing a lot, of course, around health and well-being, which includes being able to bring mm. your whole self to work. And what we've heard um, from you, Desi, and I cannot believe you drink Seth Healthly drinks. Oh, my God. Um, don't worry. I'll have, like, a soda to, <laughs> to, you know, level all this off. And <laughs> Nancy and myself, right? The thing that we know that's, that's been really, really difficult is for women to be able to bring their whole selves to work. And so it's been really interesting that this topic of health and well-being and being able to bring your whole self to work and understanding that as an HR organization, we need to move away from the one-size-fits-all because one-size-does-not-fit-all once diversity comes in. And if you want to practice the culture of inclusion, you can't do that, right? You have to meet people where they are, give them what they need so that they can get where they need to be and their journeys all look different. So it's been really exciting to see this movement from only focusing in on the hard stuff, right? People getting paid, people clocking their time, what benefits do we give them to a more absolutely those orchestra kind of things are important, right? The, the, the ability to, to standardize and all of that, but also the jazz band side of HR where innovation needs to come into play, where we have to start from the person and work backwards and still have some kind of corporate um, approach to things. And it's been wonderful to see the hard and soft topics and have people who I never would have thought would have been comfortable talking about things like diversity and inclusion, talking about things like health and well-being, to be so comfortable talking about it and have it be so normal. And it's taken a while to get Mm -hmm. here. So very, very exciting tipping point here. Thank you, Patty. Very interesting. I have a question for the panel. By the way, we're not taking a break. We're just going to barrel on through because I want to maximize our time together. And Desi, I'm I'm ready to pick up some notes here from your roundtable statements. But I have a question for the panel that's on my mind. And by the way, Patty knows they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. This is a doubleheader live radio show days, two shows, plus about 12 interviews with attendees at SAP's Best Practices for Automotive event in Detroit. I've already done the first set of interviews, and I've got a bunch coming up in the next hour after the show. So definitely no caffeine for me today, just water, and it's just going to have to do. But who knows what I'll have tonight, right, Patty? Uh, The question for all of you is, and let's start with Desi on this one. I've mentioned, and, and I think Patty validated, that it's not just a woman problem, that men need to be involved in the conversation, per her quote from Snoop Dogg. Yes, he understands because he has a daughter. But my question is, do the three of you, we'll start with Desi again, is do you find that women who are seeking to, quote-unquote, empower themselves very often run roughshod, put their cleats on, and run roughshod over the careers of other women because they are on a track to claim that power and nobody's going to stop them, even another female in their organization. So what I'm saying is, pardon the expression, women's cruelty to women on the way up what we used to call the corporate ladder. Des, are you observing any of this in, in, in the organizational world you run in? 
Um, yes and no. So what I observe is, is I observe if you look at more at women who are at more senior levels, a lot of them have, they've got the battle wounds. They've, they've gone through, through the jungle. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten there at, yes. often at a cost, whether it's the cost of other women, other individuals, their family, and often themselves. And then I see the pipeline who is looking up at them and thinking, how am I, am I, do I aspire to be like you? Or how am I going to navigate this yet staying true to myself? Um, so, yes, I do see it. And I see the work that we do with women is very much around, on the one hand, it's understanding the, the landscape. And you need to understand how to navigate it, how to be impactful, how to, how, how to progress. But you also have the responsibility to be a role model. And being distinctly aware of that, that whatever you do, you are trailblazing because of the stage that we're at in our society at the moment. So it very much is a dual hat. And it's a heavy responsibility, I find, for women right now. But it is one that needs to be carried fully on both fronts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I can say. Everything you said resonates with why I asked the question. I won't have to explain it anymore. Let's go to Nancy Joyce. Same question. What do you observe? Women in power, women on their way up or at the top uh, in terms of being a role model and not putting their foot on the head of other females coming up behind them. Yeah, and I think one of the things you referenced was a a myth that we have been talking about for a long time, which is this myth of the queen bee who scratches her way to the top, and and then when she gets there, it feels like everybody else should have to scratch their way up there, too, without any support. And I think uh, research shows that that's not true, that when women get to the top, they typically mentor as much or more than men um, and are more than willing to give away their time to themselves in order to help other women get to where they need to be and, and increasingly are recognizing that they need to do more of it. I think, you know, one of the famous things that Sally Klatchuk said when she started her com- new company was, I wish I had done more when I was at City to help other women. And now, you know, now mm-hmm. like she's, she's giving back. But um, I do think, you know, and the other interesting thing is that when men mentor other um, men or women, they get kudos for it. When women mentor other women, they don't get the same kind of recognition that, that men do, but they're doing it anyway. And I think um, that at the end of the day, women are helping each other and will continue to do so until we get to where we be. I am glad to hear that good news. Dr. Patty Fletcher, you're up. Thoughts, please. Yeah, whenever I'm on stage and there's Q&A, this question comes up during Q&A, and my response is basically the same. Mm. Let's pretend we're Don Draper from Mad Men. Right, And what Don had said, and he did it in his own life in the show, is that if you don't like what's being said, you change the conversation. And I don't like what's being said. Yes. This is not the, the Queen Bee Syndrome. It is a mess. And I completely agree with Nancy. And I agree with everything that Desi said. But here's the thing. Why the heck do we have a Queen Bee Syndrome in the first place? Why do we see all of these things around, you know, women tearing down other women or stepping on the heads of other women? And it's because our system is set up to have us believe that there's only room for one woman at the top. And when I've climbed my way up, stay the heck down, right? I've earned my way here. That's mm-hmm. simply not true. All the, there are so many women I work with, women who have helped me, women who I have helped, who are not just helping other women. They see and they understand that the job of a leader truly is to raise the next generation of leaders. So that's the first thing, men or women. The second is I always hear, Patty, you know, I've gone from the promotion for myself or, you know, I put my own hat in the ring, but I'm not helping anybody else. I've asked for that promotion or that raise. I feel so selfish for not helping my sisters. And my response to that, and it's much like the role model thing, is, you know what? When you are doing that for yourself, you are holding that door open for the person coming behind you to be able to do that and make it that much easier for that path, for that door to be open. And so it's really about changing that conversation and understanding why the question was even asked in the first place. Thank you very much. I have so many stories from my own career past, Patty, that I'm not going to share on the show today, but literally not just having a foot on the head, but being almost smashed against the door by female leaders who felt there was no room mm-hmm. for anyone but them, regardless of the men or women in the organization. I was taken to the side by a woman just really, really fast who told me many years ago, I'm going to offer you a 
3% raise. Take it now. I'm not going to give you any raises or reviews for the next five years if you last that long with the company. If not, you're at your own peril. She never allowed me to have a review, told HR never to review my paperwork, and did everything she possibly could to derail me for five years. That was her mantra. That was the way she ran the company as a senior VP, and she got away with it. Very interesting. Everybody feared her. Everybody, older, younger, men, women. It was it was quite a trial by fire, but boy, did I learn a lot from her. Sorry, I said I wouldn't share, and I did. Ah, Desi Kimmins, let's look at your notes here. You say a couple of things. I want to combine two of your statements, and we'll go around the table briefly. You say, ready, aim, ready, fire, aim. That's the typical approach we see organizations take when tackling the DNI diversity and inclusion agenda, and they're disappointed in the lack of impact. And then you say, those organizations that do want to invest in the DNI agenda often make it all about the women. So, Desi, can you translate this for us, please? And then we'll see what Nancy and Patty have to say. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to. So, so the diversity and inclusion agenda has been has been around for for a long time, and and it it it, it also at one point I find lost some of its momentum and some of its credibility because the dial wasn't moving. And it sort of reached a, a moot point. And what I'm really excited about over the past, you know, year, two years, is that it has gotten a foot and a seat at the table again at the exact level with a much stronger sense of urgency. Now, I think part of the problem has been that in the past, organizations have invested in a number of things with the best intentions, have spent quite a lot of money, for example, in removing bias from the recruitment processes or, you know, looking at other processes to remove bias, uh, implementing unconscious bias training, without first looking at, you know, what are the challenges in the system pertinent to our organization. Often what I tend to see is, yes, we need to look at the processes, but it's very much a behavioral aspect. So what we tend to see is, for example, it's all very well to invest in uh, the recruitment process, but it's the behavior, it's the application of it where it goes wrong. And it then goes again towards behavioral change. So first of all, it's get a really good snapshot of where you are, what are the challenges in the system, and then you can also track progress against it. So even if it's stakeholder interviews, you know, um, engagement surveys which are specifically targeted at DNI. I know that all engagement surveys have a couple of questions, but one really identifying the headwinds. Um, so I think that that's incredibly important. Second of all, to your point around making it all about the women, and I'm talking about women, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about whatever underrepresented group that they want to target. It's fantastic and the most empowering thing to be given a, a, a leadership journey, a development journey around with a group of high potential women around how am I going to navigate my life, navigate my career, how am I going to progress, and you leave those, those programs and those residentials incredibly empowered and psyched to make a difference. What happens? You arrive back in your ecosystem and it's exactly the same. And you get terribly frustrated because you've seen the light, you've seen the dream, you feel empowered, you found your inner strength, and you hit the wall. So for me, it's always a question of, yes, you need to enable women, for example, how to navigate the landscape effectively, because that's always good, especially if you're in a minority, there's certain communication needs that are maybe different, but it's around line management. How do you enable you to be inclusive, full stop? It's your responsibility as a leader. Yes, you may not be born with it. Yes, you need to change behavior. We will support you to do so, but it's your, it's your role as a leader to be inclusive, to bring out the best in your whole team. Thank you. Very interesting overview for that. And I noticed, Nancy, in your notes, you have a couple of very similar topics. So please chime in on what Desi just shared with us, Nancy. What are your thoughts? Sure. I mean, I think Desi was very articulate about the case for, for inclusion. I think what happens is when companies do ready, fire, aim, they often have had some sort of stimulus. You know, they've had a lawsuit or they've had some sort of incident in the company, and it that prompts them to act without really thinking through what their strategy is. And the shift that we're seeing today is that people are recognizing that inclusion is a business imperative um, because of changing customer landscapes, because of changing technology, because of the war for talent. Uh, and they're really taking it more seriously and stepping back and thinking about what are the people processes that I need to have in place and how can I examine them in such a way that I see the headwinds that Desi mentioned and I, I account for those. 
what's the programming that I need to have in place from a communication standpoint and also from a training standpoint, and how does that need to be customized to my organization? And then also, and this is really important, is how can we measure? I think one of the things that we weren't doing well in the past is, and, you know, in a lot of cases we still aren't doing well is measuring what's happening. And we can use engagement surveys, for example, as Desi mentioned, but there's a lot else we can be doing. For example, um, a lot of digital solutions that sit on companies' learning management systems. And you can actually see who's downloaded the inclusion video that, that the team has uploaded or who has mm-hmm. downloaded the conversation guide for a particular conversation about inclusion and use that with their team. And so we can start to measure the inputs to inclusion as well as the outputs. And that, can, that really helps us identify where in the organization there needs to be more intervention, where there needs to be less. And, um, and how we can be much more strategic about the, about the approach. In terms of the question Thank you, Nancy. Around, Patty. You know, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead, Nancy. No, I was going to say, we're having a little trouble hearing you. Uh, and so I was, I was going to move. We got most of what you said, but I want to have Patty chime in to comment on Desi's topic. So, oh. Patty, I want to move over to you. Okay, um, so so Desi, really important topic, and I'm so happy you brought it up. And it's true, billions of dollars have been wasted. Um, we know that the needle hasn't moved, right? We, Bonnie, you had quoted the World Economic Forum the number of years. The the, the challenge mm-hmm. with so many of diversity and inclusion program dollars is that they have invested in fixing in quote marks the underrepresented populations, right? Women who need to learn to negotiate like men, right? Yeah. And other underrepresented mm. populations who actually right. Whereas the truth is, it is about leadership, as Desi was saying, and it is, is people don't change when you tell them to. They change when you enable them to, right? And so quite like the Snoop Dogg thing, it's about a catalyst. And the truth is, unless you care about this topic, you don't care about this topic. And you're all about what it is you get motivated from, meeting your number, right, getting your client, getting your product out the door. Those are things that we do. And the rest of this has not become part part of how we lead. So in addition to program dollars, we need to look at enabling the how we lead piece, not in addition to, not just with program money, but the tools that we use. And Desi, you had talked about, you know, the focus on recruiting, right? We see a lot of startups. There are 2,500 startups every year or something like that focused in on diversity and inclusion and it's like a niche within a niche, right? Just getting the right talent or just doing this part of a performance review. And the focus, as you notice, is not those underrepresented populations. The focus when it works is at the in is at the, the middle manager layer. That's when people drop off. That's the layer that determines who gets up, right? If they are if that's what they desire, who gets lateral moves, right? Basically who progresses, who doesn't, where the come from all of those things. So the aiming at that middle manager in addition to programming but giving them the tools and also incenting them to do things differently that are more inclusive is critically important and measurement is not enough. It is crucial to see your current state analysis. It's crucial to see progress has been made but I've seen so many companies stop at the analytics and reporting and not actually change anything in the how people are being led and managed. And then they wonder, why isn't the needle moving we've been measuring? It just doesn't work that way. So it's great to see some movement. And as Desi, I think it was you who said, it's becoming more and more crucial. And yes, a lot of that is because of a PR um, kind of thing, right? We're getting pressure from a brand, social happens, but also because there is a perceived shortage of talent in the workforce when I don't really believe there is. I think there's a war for talent, but not a shortage. I think we keep going to the same room, talking to the same people, expecting a different outcome. And so companies are realizing that they have a problem they have to solve. This is a lever that they can use. Hopefully, we move beyond just the recruiting component into let's create that right brand experience throughout the lifetime of an employee, but such an important Mm -hmm. topic. And the truth is we need to do more. Thank you, Patty, and I don't know how you knew, but I had just highlighted, yes, go ahead, who's that? Go ahead, speak. Yep, Nancy. Yeah, um, one of the interesting things that that Patty just said is that we really need to do more than just measure. We need to actually put goals out there and and reach them. I think, you know, I was reading recently, some people will say, you know, you won't say to your manager, okay, uh, I want you to bring in more profit next year. You wouldn't say to them, when they say how much, you're not going to say to them, oh, just do your best. You're going to give them a target. 
And so I think the question of targets mm-hmm. is something that we need to take a little bit more seriously, do some more Great. research around, um, and think about that as we put in our measurement strategy. Very well put. Thank you for jumping in there, Nancy. And, uh, Patty, I was just when you were mentioning about the glass ceiling at the middle management, that was the statement in your notes I had highlighted. I was going to go there next, so I don't know how you knew. But, Patty, we're just about at the predictions round, but there's one thing here we didn't talk about, I believe, is technology. And I just wish you could just spend 60 seconds talking about, I'll read the next sentence, machine learning technology can help managers address key decision points where unconscious bias matters most. We're talking about algorithms. Patty, can you just quickly give us an introduction to that topic, and then we'll go, Desi, get ready with your prediction. Go ahead, Patty. <laughs> Absolutely. So so there are 150 different unconscious biases that play in our brains at any given time just at work. There are obviously thousands that we walk around with every day. And so as a result, right, of these unconscious biases, we're making decisions blindly without that forward intention, Bonnie, that you talked about and Desi, you talked about from intention mm-hmm. perspective. And so, right, and the only thing that, that will stop you from using those unconscious biases is called decision interruption. And that's where machine learning and artificial intelligence comes in. Let's say you copy and paste a job description. You're going to go put a job rec out there. And that's usually how it's done. It's a rote activity, right? So imagine machine learning um, being able to to look through that job description. It's a popular example. Look through that job description. They identify certain words that are more conducive to a particular overpopulation, right? And then just simply saying, hey, what about this word, that word, or that word? No blame and shame, no diversity and inclusion. And oh, by the way, let's also link that to business outcomes, business impact around who else is looking for this kind of talent, how much, you know, what's the range of salaries, right? So it's not just an academic exercise. What I do warn, and anyone listening needs to pay attention to, is remembering who actually designs those algorithms, people, and they tend to be mm-hmm. white men. And so, right, who have unconscious bias. So one thing I would absolutely caution is when you are looking at artificial intelligence, when you, you know, fueled by machine learning, which it all is, is that you find out what the ethics are when it comes to designing those algorithms, how they are helping, enabling those developers to address their own unconscious bias. We've seen so much in this space. It's a new space, and we have to pay attention, and we have to really push the limit on that. Thank you, Patty, and I'm going to call that your prediction, pushing the limit and paying attention in that area of unconscious biases. And we've got 60 seconds left, or 90 seconds left for each of your two guest panelists, so let's circle back around to Desi Timmons at Corn Ferry. Desi, take a look into the crystal ball. What do you see coming down the pike? Will we be able to narrow that 217-year gender equality gap? Is it going to get any shorter, any tighter? Could it surprise us all and happen in the next, uh, between now and 2025? So go ahead. 60 seconds, Desi Timmons, predict, go. Um, 2025 is a bit short, but I do think that um, the time will be shorter. I think organizations are going to have to and will latch on to the fact that the way forward is enabling leaders to be inclusive through behavior change. Um, I'm going to close with it's not going to be about the survival of the fittest. It's those who are agile and can adapt that are going to be able to drive change and progress. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Nancy Joyce, talk to me. I can give you, oh, Nancy, you can get a whole 90 seconds for your prediction because Desi was so concise. So go ahead, Nancy. So, you know, when we talk about an inclusive environment, we mean creating an environment where everyone who has the capability to excel can do so, no matter what their gender, what their background, uh, white males included. And I think once we get to the point where we are all striving towards these types of inclusive environments and we're, and we're starting to hear more from leadership about that, which means that um, they're putting more effort into it, putting more investment into it. We'll see that um, start to change. And so my prediction is um, aggressive, but I would say that by 2030, 10% of Fortune 500 CEOs will be women. Still sounds like a low number, but compared to where we are now, it's a big change. Thank you very much. Patty, I do have 60 seconds for you. Wasn't sure how that was going to go, but I'd love to have you do a real prediction since that was more forward-looking thinking. So why don't you encapsulate something for a 60 seconds, Dr. Patty Fletcher. They're all yours. Awesome. So I see, let's say it's a five to 10 year horizon where we don't even know what the tools are going to look like by then, but 
we have this whole gig economy thing happening, right, where people don't necessarily want to be your employee, but they do want to work with you in, in kind of for short amounts of time. And I see that as a forcing mechanism to focus in on the things that actually matter for companies. When you're hiring a gig type of work worker, it's because you want to solve something specific. So all of a sudden, those attributes like your skin color, the gender that you identify with, all of those things that have nothing to do with the impact you can make on the organization become less and less important. And I see that playing a really big role in hopefully catapulting us toward a more inclusive work culture. And Patty, I don't know if you remember, but when I was brand new to SAP and it was suggested that I get a mentor, I chose you. I had met you when you were doing a a small podcast interview series at the time, and you invited me to be your interviewee, and that was about seven and a half years ago. Then you left to do something else and came back, and here we are all these years later. I'm the creator, producer, and host of Game Changers Radio, and you're the sponsor of one of my series. And Patty, I have to tell you how wonderful it is to be in contact with you still in this completely different roles that both of us that we started out with when I first joined SAP. So I want to say thank you, Patty. And Patty, quickly, what's coming up next on this series? You have a couple more episodes left this year going into the fall. So what can we look forward to just quickly? Absolutely. We're looking forward to data privacy and protection, a very big deal in the world of of people, um, as well as analytics um, and machine learning topics. So stay tuned. It's going to be a blast. There you go. Thank you very much. So I want to say thank you to Desi Kimmins at Corn Ferry. Desi, such a pleasure to meet you and hear your insights. Nancy Joyce at PDT Global, same thing. It was it was wonderful learning from both of you and growing with both of you. And thank you for your honesty and your insights. And Dr. Patty Fletcher, just keep it up. That's all I can say. And congratulations on the book. And Keep making people aware, Patty. That's what they need. So our topic today has been Beyond the Rhetoric, Diversity and Inclusion Reality Check, and that's exactly what we gave you. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm going to sign off now, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. That's an order. Just like Desi Kimmins at Corn Ferry, just like Nancy Joyce at PDT Global, and just like Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors. We'll talk to you tomorrow here at 10 a.m. on another live Game Changer series. We have 18 series right now in production, and I think tomorrow is, um, let's see, Business Model Disruption. That's the one, 10 o'clock Eastern here on the Business Channel. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.